Now take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's where you're going to find the scriptural content for our time together for the remainder of this service. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the words of Jesus. But I want to begin with a question. What if we've gotten this all wrong? What if too much of what we're doing is not accomplishing our intended purpose? What if instead of focusing on the things God wants us to focus on and we've become obsessed and misguided in our focus and misplaced in our priorities? What if we built big buildings and we've had great programs and we've had attractions that people can come to see? We've even call ourselves the church, but we've not built his kingdom. Do you remember the story of the Choloteca Bridge in Honduras? I mentioned this a while back. The, the Choloteca Bridge, it was a, a 500-meter bridge that was built in 1998. It was a Honduran engineering and architectural masterpiece. It was built to withstand high winds in that part of the world that gets devastating storms. And they did that year, 1998. Hurricane Mitch came into Honduras, and it was devastating. And at the end of the hurricane, when all the wind and water had settled, the bridge was still standing. But there was a problem. <laughs> the roads were gone. On either side of the bridge, there was no longer roadways. In fact, there was a bigger problem. Up under the bridge, that river that had spanned 300 feet was nowhere to be found. The hurricane had, had carved a new path for the riverbed. And so this bridge was literally a bridge over dry land with no roads on either side. It was a bridge to nowhere. And so the Honduran leaders, they had to come up with something. What, what do we do in light of this? And they said, should we try to redirect the river? <laughs> should we carve a new path and, and try to play God and make the river go where we want it to go? Or, or should we just abandon the bridge? Or, or should we maybe build a new bridge to make it better? Ultimately, they basically abandoned the bridge. We live in a society that is rapidly changing. The people we serve are looking different. Our world, the culture around us is, is like a riverbed that's not where it once was. And we, the church, who are supposed to be a bridge to our communities, a bridge to those who need the hope of Jesus Christ, too often, based on statistics, which tell us all across this country, churches are closing, hundreds of them every week, too often, our churches have become bridges to nowhere. We're not accomplishing the very purpose that God created us to accomplish. We're, we're not expanding his kingdom. So, so what do we do? Do, do we try and, and make culture come to us? Is that the answer? <laughs> like moving the riverbed back to where we want it? Do we abandon our mission? Do we say this bridge no longer works? Do we try something new? I believe the answer is found in one of the first verses that I memorized as a child. Let me first say it to you as I memorize it in the King James. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And now, let's, let's say it together as you see it here. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think that's the the secret, keeping the main thing the main thing, making sure we're focused on what God wants us to be focusing on, seeking his kingdom, living our lives for the kingdom. But how do we do that? Well, as usual, Jesus does not leave us empty-handed because that charge at the end of the chapter comes after he has instructed us how to achieve what he wants us to accomplish. And as usual, the pathway, the method we get there is through prayer. Jesus said it, so it shouldn't surprise us. The best things in life come through prayer. Because it aligns our hearts with the heart of God. It aligns our desires with the desire of God. That's why the psalmist would say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because he's some genie in a bottle? No, because when you delight yourself in the Lord, then your desire becomes his desire. And he says, sure, why don't I let my will be done in your life? And so the disciples came to Jesus, and, and, and they wanted to know how to get there. And a lot of times, that's why we come to church. That's why we open the Bible. That's why we listen to preachers or we read books. We want to know how to get there. How do I get that which heavens has declared down here in my life? And so they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus said this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And and though it's not in the earliest manuscripts, somewhere in, in history, the church, the early Christ followers begin to pray that postscript that we pray at the end of that model prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today I, I want to talk about how we live for the kingdom, how we get this right, how, how we don't waste our time investing in those things that really don't matter. So in order to do that, why in the world will we just talk about it without first talking to God about it? And when I'm crying out to God for his will to be done in my life, for his kingdom to come in me, I sometimes just hold out my hands, and you may want to do that, because I just want to be open-handed before him, and and I want to cry out to God on our behalf. And when I get to the end of this prayer, what I'm going to invite you to do is, if you know it, to pray that model prayer with me. And when we do that, not only will we be proclaiming the words of Jesus, we will be joining in an activity that literally millions of Christ followers are doing today around the world And we'll be praying something that has been prayed for a couple of thousand years. So let's pray first. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you for this day. It is the day, God, that you have made. And so I rejoice. I'm glad in it. And I just thank you for how, how God, you have, in this service, worked fresh and new in my life. I thank you that you're a God who speaks and that we are not left silent by you. So God, we ask that you would do that once again today. And oh, Lord, first I need to say, I don't understand it. It seems to me like this preaching is foolishness. And I know my life, so I know I'm unworthy. So I, let, I pray that my words and my thoughts would be pleasing to you. And this would be used as a pathway to redemption. 
But God, as I speak, I, I pray that that in combination with your words would give us what we need that we've not obtained. Lord, you would teach us what we need to learn and that you would make us new. Create in us, oh God, a new heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Lord, let us understand what it means to get this right. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to be a bridge to nowhere. So Lord, even now, teach us how to pray. As, as you taught your disciples when you prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you give God praise again today? Jesus' plan for how we experience the kingdom life, how we live for the kingdom is that in prayer, we ask his kingdom to come in us. Literally, the words mean, Lord, bring your kingdom to me. So what we're recognizing is, God, we're, we're crying out to you, saying, would you give me everything of you that's available to me? I, I want all of you in all of me. Now, why is this important? It's important because that's how Jesus began his ministry. He began by telling us that's what it was all about. Look at Mark 1 and verse 14. John had been put in prison. He went in, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What was the good news? Look at verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the time is here. Say the time is here. The kingdom of God is near. Say that. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means to have a change in your mindset, in the way you're thinking, in the direction you've been going, and believe this good news. What's the good news? The kingdom of God has come near. That's what the gospel talks about repeatedly. 157 times in the New Testament, we have this message of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Let me define it so we're not just lost before we continue. My friend Vance Pittman has a great definition. He says, the kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with him. So God's working and people are getting right with God. Tony Evans has probably written and spoken more on the kingdom of God than anybody I know. And he says, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God. But what does that imply? It implies there's a ruler. That's King Jesus. It implies there's a realm that needs to be ruled, a people that need to be ruled. That's us. And it implies that there are rules. There are some guidelines we should live by. Gene Mim says the kingdom of God is the reign of God through Jesus Christ in the lives of persons, and it's evidenced by God's activity in and through and around them. So when the kingdom of God is evident in your life, you're going to see God working in you and through you and around you. And then one last definition, Graham Goldsworthy says, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing, that's the kingdom of God. Don't you want that? Don't you want to live in the kingdom of God? Now, when we walk through the Lord's Prayer phrase by 
phrase a, a while back. I, I reminded you that you cannot effectively ask for God's provision or protection until you first acknowledge his rule and accept his reign in your life. So if you want the best that God has to offer, you first got to say, Jesus, you are my king. There has to be a time in your life where you've submitted, where you've surrendered to the authority, the rule, the reign of God in your life. Now, to do that, you've got to understand something that we've been talking about since the beginning of time. Since Genesis chapter 3, in fact, there have been two kingdoms. God created first his kingdom, this kingdom on the earth of his created glory. And he gave the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, freedom to spend time in the kingdom. But then sin entered the world. And God said, as he always does, all right, you can have it your way. And so from that moment forward, since Genesis chapter 3, you've had the kingdom of God and you've had the kingdom of demand or of darkness or of this world. Adam and Eve chose to disobey the rule of God. And so every one of us were born into this kingdom of man. So we live our lives and, and you'll feel this. Even if you would have never worded it this way, time I say it, you'll say, that's right. We live our, our lives with kingdoms in conflict. Kingdoms in chaos. You know what you should do, but like the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans, you don't do what you know you should do. And so you struggle. Sometimes you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ because you realize, man, I'm in conflict internally. I'm not living my life as a kingdom person. And yet, throughout Scripture, the people of God have acknowledged, really, God is our king. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 145, 1. I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. So what we understand is the kingdom of God is not yet. It's not fully come. And yet it's already. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom, but he's going to come again one day to consummate the kingdom. So here we are, we, we know that the kingdom of God is amongst us and we can be a part of the kingdom of God, yet we won't fully understand it until we see King Jesus face to face, right? And he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain. And one day he'll reign in that glorious kingdom, but today he's reigning in our hearts and in our lives as his citizens. And he's teaching us that we can live as kingdom citizens. But he's regularly reminding us that it's his kingdom that needs to come, not our kingdom. It's not a Democrat kingdom or a Republican kingdom. It's not a black kingdom or a white kingdom. It's not an American kingdom or filling your nationality. It's not even a Baptist kingdom. No, it's, it's the kingdom of God. It's, it's his kingdom. And so he's telling us to pray, Father! Let your kingdom come in me. Bring to me all that you are so that I might experience it for your glory. So how does that look? That's where it gets practical. John Calvin says it's the church's job to make the kingdom visible. So how does it look in your little corner of the world? You represent the kingdom. It's up to you. So, so I want to just spend the rest of our time giving you four things that I think demonstrate the kingdom activity in our life. And, and there are four things that are very relevant in our culture. Number one, when the kingdom comes, it will come in truth. It will come in truth. Now, here's what I believe. We live in the age of Pilate. 
why would I say that? You remember Jesus' interaction with Pilate in John 18? Jesus was standing before Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you, you say that I'm a king. And in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the what? To the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? And that's the age we're living in. You, you, you know that, right? What is a woman? Oh, no. What is marriage? I'm not sure. What is your identity? Whatever you want it to be. And we've forsaken truth. But what Jesus is saying is when his kingdom comes, there is absolute truth. And we know this even from the prayer. We know it from the prayer from the beginning. Because in the beginning, he says, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. What does holy mean? It means different. It means set apart. How do I know something's different? Because there's truth and there's falsehood. We also know it's truth because he said, forgive us our trespasses. How, how do I know to, I need to be forgiven? Because there's right and there's wrong. He, he also says, as I forgive those who's trespassed against me, how do I know I need to forgive others? Because I feel hurt because something that is not true has happened to me. He even says, lead me not into temptation. How do I know I shouldn't do something? Because there's truth. All of Scripture tells us that God is about truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're told that his word is truth. We're told that we should worship him. And how? Spirit and in truth. So we must be people of truth. We don't get to make up the truth. And, and while this kingdom is not a political party and won't be built in Tallahassee or in D.C. or in our city, you do have a responsibility in this world you live in to stand up for truth. This is election week. As I go to vote, I'm going to be basing how I vote on the truths that I find in God's word. How in the world could I vote for candidates that stand in opposition to truth? They don't get to make up truth either. We are people of truth. This week, the Bishop of Oxford, England, has come out in favor of same-sex marriage. He said that his concern is that the church is out of step with society. In other words, society is believing something different from the church, and he's illustrating what is true. If the church is not salt and light, if we don't influence society, eventually society will influence the church. Let me just say something loud and clear. In this church, we're going to stand on truth. And we believe that truth is found in the Word of God. We don't base that on our feelings. We don't base that on polls. We don't base that on the ideas of the day. We base that on His truth. Why? Why would we do that? Why make a stand? Because truth changes things. This week I was meeting with my dear friend Linda Unford. I got to know Linda 12 years ago as she scheduled an appointment with me. I was a new pastor and she was in charge of MAD. Now if you don't know what that means, 
she wasn't mad, but mad as mothers against drunk driving. And, and for years, they had met in our church, and they had a candlelight visual in the holiday season, just remembering what had happened. And, and she just wanted to check with the new pastor to make sure that they could still do that. I said, absolutely. In that first year, I kind of gave a greeting and I went and it was so sad. I wasn't mad, but I was sad because I heard story after story and there seemed to be no hope. And, and I just thought, man, how do you face life's tragedies without hope? And so after that, I met with Linda and I said, man, I want us to do this, but please, if we do it again, can I just share hope? Can I share that in the midst of what's made us mad or what makes us sad, that Jesus gives us hope? And Linda said, that sounds good to me. And I'll, I'll never forget that next year we kind of affected the music a little bit. And in my short message, I, I gave a message of hope. And Linda just loved it. And, and, and the more we did that, Linda began to kind of peek into our church from time to time. And, and one day she saw Pastor Nick out in the community. And, and, and she just knew she needed to talk to him about something. So she scheduled a meeting. And I'll never forget the day that they too came walking out of his office. And, and Pastor Nick said, Linda just prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not long after that, Linda and Carl started coming more regularly to our church. And Linda and Carl both walked through the waters of believers' baptism. And their life has been impacted. And so this week when I was meeting about this year's Mad Visual with Linda, I said, Linda, you have a story that, that is so encouraging to me. Linda came from a Catholic background. And she said, one day, as she just continued to hear the truth of the gospel here, she began to realize that everything she had heard growing up was not right. That it wasn't right that she needed to fear God because he was going to punish her every time she messed up. But that God was a God of grace, and God was a God of hope, and God was a God of truth. And I said, Linda, would it be all right if I share that story? And Linda said, please share my story, because the truth has set me free. That's why we must be people of truth, but not just truth. When the kingdom comes, it will also come in grace. Now, what does this mean? Well, we must not be too gracious with the truth. We can't just be so loving that we let people believe anything they want to believe. But we can't speak the truth without showing God's grace. The Bible tells us to speak the truth and show the truth in love. There are many in the church world today that have adopted a graceless gospel. It's taking on the cancel culture of our secular world. And so we've looked at some sins whether that be sins of people in the church or sins of pastors in the church. And when they blow it in that way, we kick them to the curb. We don't know what to do with them. And what we're saying by our actions is that there's no hope in the gospel for you. The gospel's for everybody but you. Truth is, for a lot of years, it's been said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. I believe it's worse than that. I believe we walk by them laying on the battlefield and we kick them in the gut. That, that can't be what we're known for, church. We must be people of grace. That's the message of the gospel. There's been a lot of emphasis recently on the life of Jeffrey Dahmer. It's because there's a new Netflix show. I don't encourage you to watch that. I think it's pretty dark. I haven't watched it. But that's what's got his name back in the news. Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested in 
1991 for being a serial killer and many other evil and horrendous things. But while he was in prison, a pastor by the name of Roy Ratliff visited with him. And he began to have Bible studies with Jeffrey Dahmer on a weekly basis. He shared the gospel with him. And, and Dahmer says he struggled with trying to accept that God's grace could apply to him. But in 1994, in an interview with Stone Phillips, he said, I've come to the belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It didn't just happen. I have trusted in him as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that everyone, as well as I, will stand before him one day and be accountable. Shortly after his conversion, Ratliff baptized him. And shortly after that, eight months later, he was murdered in prison. Now, it's easy to sit where we are and be skeptical about whether or not he was truly saved. That's what we do when we see somebody come from a background different than us, right? They can't. Not that person. I mean, really? Do you know what they've done? Do you know how they look? Do you know their background? Lindsay Knott says the type of grace is offensive to us because somewhere deep inside of us is a self-righteousness in which we believe we have the moral high ground. We don't believe that Dahmer is deserving of God's grace. And, and to say that, we're saying, you're absolutely right. He doesn't deserve God's grace. But where in the world do we get the wrong belief that we do? The reality is what's impossible for us even to comprehend is possible for Jesus. The scandal of God's grace is that anyone who realizes their need for Christ can be saved. We won't know the reality of his or anyone else's conversion un until heaven. But what this does tell us is that nobody is too far gone. No one is out of the reach of God's grace. There's no one that Jesus can't save. And regardless of what you've done, and regardless of where you've come from, and regardless of your background, God's grace is available to you too. I, I think of this Muslim background individual that Pastor Zach was leading in the recent weeks in Bible study. Every week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have Bible studies of, of students who've come to learn English, and they're from around the world, and a lot of them are from a Muslim background and, and so we teach them conversational English while we're studying the Bible. And it leads to some great conversation. And one of these guys said to Zach, hey, I, I can't believe in God because I can't imagine that, that he would forgive me. You don't know all the terrible things I've done. How could God be holy and not punish me for what I've done? And Zach was able to open the scriptures and show him that God loves us so much that even while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. And that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking that guy's punishment. And he was taking our punishment. And that the grace of God makes God's love and his forgiveness and eternity available to us. And that day, that Muslim background individual began a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he understood when the kingdom comes, it will come with grace. But when the kingdom comes, it also comes with power. That way we end that prayer traditionally, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. What is that talking about? Why did that become tradition? Well, God's power is spoken about throughout the early church. 
As Jesus walked and talked, we saw his power. His kingdom life was evident in his miracle-working power. But in the early church, his power continued. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. Listen, I've grown up in church. I'm around people like us all the time. I feel like we've become too much talk and not enough power. We've become content with a powerless God. We don't expect him to do the unexpected or the unthinkable. We say we believe the scriptures. But we don't believe God works in that way today. In our first service today, I was standing right over there as we were worshiping. And I looked up and I saw my friend Rick singing about how great God is. And I began to think about the reality that just a couple of months ago, he was in a hospital bed in CCU. He had, was connected to a ventilator after a massive heart attack. And was, we were told that he may not live. As he came through that, I met with him in therapy. And he said, Paul, please pray. They're telling me I may never sing again. But God, our God is a miracle-working God. Our God is a God that works in power. And so Rick could stand on this stage today and sing about how great our God is. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. What does that mean? He's saying if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the power of God is in you. If you're not sensing his power, it may be that you've not submitted to his kingdom rule. Maybe you're not a part of his kingdom. So I would just ask you, where, where do you look and see his power manifested in your life? And just listen to me as your pastor. I, I'm not saying get all silly and crazy. God's never going to do anything inconsistent with his word. He's never going to contradict what he's already given us in his written word. But, but I want to be a follower of Jesus that says, God, let me know you in all of your fullness. Give me anything I don't have yet of you. Let me experience your power in ways I've never seen. Let me see your miracles amongst me. You believed, as Scripture says, that nothing is impossible with God, that all things are possible with Him. You want to be a person and a people of power. When His kingdom comes, finally, it'll come in glory. But I think this is where we get sidetracked. This prayer begins and ends with God's glory. It's all about you, Father. Jesus is called the king of glory. His is a kingdom of glory. But it's not our glory. Do you understand that? Some of us have gotten so warped by the so-called American dream that we think God is some genie in a bottle that just wants to give us what we want. That's not the intent of Scripture at all. You were put here for one purpose so that your life, having been stamped with the DNA of God, you have the Imago Day on your life, and you were put here so that in and through everything you do, you might give Him glory. Amen. That's why scriptures say, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. God loves you. He values you. He's created you on purpose for a purpose, but it's not all about you. So I just need to remind you today, there's nothing as empty as a self-centered life. Pride and praise can't coexist. 
There's no way you can be full of yourself and at the same time be full of the Spirit of God. So you have to choose. Eric Raymond said, you cannot cry out your kingdom come while we're still promoting our own kingdom. Sin is an expression of disloyalty to the king. It's, it's trading crown. It salutes the flag of self over the flag of Christ. That's why, like the psalmist, we must pray, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. So what's the verdict? Just go through those four things. Is his kingdom coming in you? Are you walking in truth? Are you walking in grace? Are you walking in power? Are you walking for his glory? As a church, are we standing on truth? Do people see us as a place of grace? Are we sensing the power of God? Are we here for the glory of God? I would say we are. Why is this so important? Remember how I started? Could it be, what if we're getting this all wrong? What if we're spending our time just spinning our wheels and we're doing things that are making no eternal impact? You got a good job, you drive a nice car, you live in a good house. But you're not investing in forever. Friends, I, I want you to know the reason this is so important is because his kingdom is the only thing that lasts forever. The kingdom of Babylon we read around in history, it, it no longer exists. The great Roman kingdom, it is not what it was. The king of Prussia, the king of Russia, who are they? There are none. The British kingdom, but a shadow of what it once was. And for those who think that the American way is the only way, I would just say to you, this kingdom will not last. There's only one kingdom that lasts forever. The best illustration of this is found in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, you've got this pretty amazing account. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? King Nebuchadnezzar. It says he's walking on his rooftop. And this is what it says. Look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. He said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? We just think about that. We, it's easy for us to point fingers to him and go, that's crazy. Who would say that? We do. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Look at my life. It's my best life now. It's all about me. So what does Jesus say to him? <laughs> the next verse says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what you decreed, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. 
You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, and he ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. That sounds like something out of a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? I mean, that's wacky. God says, you want it to be about your kingdom? Go ahead, big boy. See how that works out for you. Meanwhile, get on all fours and find something to eat. And you better start acting like one of the animals of the field because that's your only hope. And he'll do the same for us. He'll turn us over to be the architects and the masters of our kingdoms. If that's what we so desire. But that's not what he desires. He wants you to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come in me. Now that's the message for those of us who are part of the kingdom. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's your application today. Lord, let your kingdom come in me in truth. Let your kingdom come to me in grace. Let your kingdom come in me in power and for your glory. But there's somebody that's hearing this. And the whole time I've been talking, you're thinking, I'm not in that group. This kingdom talk, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a part of that. And you're not. And, and the reason you're awakened to that now and you're aware of that is because the Spirit of God is moving amongst us and, and He's working in your life to open your eyes. And so you need to hear one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's what Jesus said to a guy named Nick late one night. Nicodemus was this religious leader, and he came to Jesus in the dark, probably because he was scared to come when others would see him. And he came to Jesus, and he said, I see that you're different. I want what you've got. How do I get it? And Jesus said this in John chapter 3. He said, you can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born again. And Nicodemus said, uh, Jesus, I'm a grown man. <laughs> How am I supposed to be born again? And Jesus, just to show that he wasn't stuttering, said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And this Jesus who said you can't see his kingdom or you can't enter his kingdom without being born again then would go on to give us the most famous verse in all of the Bible and tell us how to be born again. He would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God then you place your trust in Jesus. And you can do that right here, right now. Let's bow our heads together. If you've never begun that relationship with Jesus, would you consider crying out to him right now? Letting him know that's the desire of your heart. Here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge you need him because of your sin. You need to believe that he died on the cross to take your punishment. That's the truth. You need to receive his forgiveness by grace. 
and you need to invite his power to work in you. When he does that, he will be glorified in your life. He will get glory. Maybe you need some help just telling God that's your desire. Maybe you would pray this prayer. Just start by calling out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, just you and him. Say, Jesus, I need you. Tell him, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I believe that you died for me. You took my punishment. So I'm ready to receive your forgiveness. Jesus, from now on, I'm going to follow you, not me. From now on, I'm going to live for your kingdom, not my kingdom. From now on, I'm yours. So come into my life. Take control. Right now. Forever. I just say thank you, Jesus. Tell him, say thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Wherever you're seated or even if you're watching online, if you just prayed that prayer with me, here's what I want you to do right now. If you just prayed that prayer with me, beginning that relationship with Christ, would you just lift up your hand wherever you're seated all across this room right now? Just lift up your hand. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Way in the back, back there. Welcome to God's family. Others of you. If you did that, that's the most important thing you could do. Over to my right, I see you, sir. Welcome to God's family. Now, here's what I'm going to ask. In just a moment, I'm going to conclude this time of prayer. And I'm going to give Christ followers an opportunity to respond, just like I'm asking you to. But if you just prayed that prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or you didn't, there are going to be pastors that are standing at the front of this room at the end of every aisle. And they want to receive you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to come and say, hey, I, I prayed to begin that relationship. I prayed that prayer, however you want to say it. And they just want to make sure that you understand. See if you have any questions. We want to make sure you have a copy of the Bible, God's Word. But that's important. It's a first step, sharing that with someone else. Now, you're not going to be along and moving because here's what I would ask of Christ followers. There's a lot of us that are not praying with his kingdom coming in our life we're not living as citizens of the kingdom and some of you just need to come and there's some specific things where you need to say hey King Jesus I, I'm surrendering to you and my family King Jesus I'm, I'm surrendering to you and my finances King Jesus I'm, I'm surrendering to you and my work King Jesus I'm surrendering to you with my giving just whatever that need, you're going to cry out to God. Some are coming even now. Pastor Zach, right in front of you. You're just going to cry out. Some of you Christ followers just need to come and kneel. You may need to talk to one of the pastors and just say, I want to get this right. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom. I want to live for God's glory. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you, that you move in a mighty way, Father. Not in any way that's made to happen by man but by your spirits moving. We believe that the power of God is present here. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would demonstrate that for your glory. 
Lord, we do this because we know there's power in your name, Jesus. There's power to heal. There's power to free us from addictions. There's power to allow us to be generous. There's power to make us different neighbors and different husbands and wives. There's great power in your name, Jesus. So, Lord, we're focusing on you even as we continue to worship you right now. Praying this in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. You step out. Who's first to come? You step out even now.